Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Welcome to the Good Food Fourth Quarter and Fiscal Year 2021 Financial Results Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a lesson-only mode. Following the presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session. As a courtesy to others, we ask that each participant limit themselves to one question. Instruction will be provided at that time for you to queue up for questions. Please note that questions will be taken from financial analysts only. If anyone has any difficulties hearing the conference, please press star followed by zero for operator assistance at any time. I would like to remind everyone that this conference call is being recorded today, November 17, 2021 at 8 a.m. Eastern Time. Furthermore, I would like to remind you that today's presentation may contain forward-looking statements about Good Food's current and future plans, expectations and intentions, results, level of activity, performance, goals or achievements, or other future events or developments. As such, please take a moment to read the disclaimer on forward-looking statements on slide two of the presentation. I would like to turn the meeting over to your host for today's call, Jonathan Ferrari, Good Food Chief Executive Officer. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you. Bonjour à tous et bienvenue à l'appel conférence de Marché Good Food pour présenter nos résultats financiers du quatrième trimestre et de l'exercice 2021, close 31 août. Good morning, everyone. And welcome to this call for Good Food Market Corp to present our financial results for the fourth quarter and fiscal year 2021, ended this August 31st. I'm pleased to be joined on the call today by Neil Kagi, Good Foods President and Chief Operating Officer, and Jonathan Reuter, Chief Financial Officer. Our press release reporting our fiscal year and fourth quarter results was published earlier this morning. It can be found on our website at makegoodfood.ca and on CDAR. Please be aware that we will refer to certain metrics and non-IFRS measures. Where possible, these measures are identified and reconciled to the most comparable IFRS measure in our MDNA. Finally, let me remind you that all figures expressed on today's call are in Canadian dollars unless otherwise stated. Now, turning to slide three, which outlines our key highlights for the year and fourth quarter. Our results this year demonstrate our continued strength of good foods penetration and value proposition. The clear convenience and differentiation of our ready-to-cook products, combined with our growing grocery selection and fast delivery capabilities, drove strong basket sizes and order rates, translating into record revenues of $379 million for the year. Our gross profit and gross margin also hit new records of $116 million and 30.6%. As communicated during our last earnings call, our fourth quarter results have been impacted by the return of summer seasonality, further amplified by the reopening of economies across the country. The volume decline, particularly in the months of July and August, impacted our top line with net sales reaching $79 million and gross margin standing at 23%. We view the 5% year-over-year decline in net sales as a sign of resilience in the business, as fourth quarter net sales remained well ahead of pre-pandemic levels, despite unprecedented pent-up demand for outside-of-home activities. Our gross margin was impacted by the volume decline, creating operating deleverage in our costs of goods sold, seasonality leading to higher packaging costs, as well as inflation, particularly in labor, as a result of current labor shortage conditions. Lastly, our investments in on-demand grocery and meal solution fulfillment also grew, creating material startup costs in our cost of goods sold. After a strong fiscal 2021 and a seasonally weak fourth quarter, we are now looking forward to fiscal 22 
and the growth potential of our on-demand grocery and meal solution strategy, the key driver of our next phase of growth. We have now surpassed the 1,000 product mark, providing a compelling selection of grocery and meal solutions to our customers, available in under one hour in most Toronto neighborhoods and within the next few weeks in Montreal. Offering an alternative to traditional grocery that takes less time to arrive at our customers' doors than it takes to go shop in a store is truly unique in terms of value proposition, and it will drive online grocery penetration and position good food to be the Canadian leader in the field. In addition, we are already seeing early signs that on-demand delivery will fuel demand for our meal kits and ready-to-eat products, as our merchandising for one hour or less delivery includes all three product lines we offer. On that note, I'll turn it over to Jonathan Reuter to review our financial performance in detail. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Jonathan. I will now turn to slide four, which provides details of our top line performance. The acceleration of delivered to home e-commerce grocery and meal solution adoption, combined with good foods enhancement in delivery speed and product offering, allowed us to achieve record results this year. Net sales reached $379 million for the year, a 33% growth compared to fiscal 2020. For the fourth quarter, net sales stood at $79 million, a 5% decline compared to the same period last year. The result was driven by expected seasonality amplified by the reopening of economies across the country, which in turn led to lower active customer count and order rates. These trends were particularly strong in July and August, and we have since observed a rebound in volume from the July and August troughs. Though the return to normalcy for Canadians is likely to continue creating chalkiness in demand conditions in the coming months. As our transition into an on-demand online grocer and meal solution provider continues, we expect the future growth of our three product lines, meal kits, ready-to-eat meals, and grocery, to be driven in large part by our on-demand platform. Now please turn to slide five, which looks at our profitability levels. Our record gross profit this year increased to $116 million, translating into a gross margin of 30.6%. Gross profit grew 34% year over year, and gross margin grew 30 basis points. The increase in gross profit and gross margin for the year resulted mainly from fixed cost leverage in the first three quarters of the year, provided by higher volume and average order values, and lower levels of credit incentives as a percentage of revenue. For the fourth quarter, our gross profit and gross margins fell to $18 million and 23%, respectively. This level of gross margin was a result of four non-structural key drivers. First, labor costs and shipping costs were impacted by operating deleverage resulting from lower volume as fixed labor costs remained while sales were lower and lower density impacted shipping efficiencies, particularly in the months of July and August. Second, inflation, mainly in the labor market, driven by an unprecedented tight labor market, led to a labor shortage requiring wage increases, overtime, and incentive bonuses, all at the same time as volume was impacted by seasonality. Third, our packaging costs were impacted by seasonality as the as they are every year, with more ice packs and liners used to protect against the warm weather, which lasted well into October this year, as well as the increase in the sales of grocery products requiring additional packaging. Lastly, startup costs to support our on-demand initiative had a material impact as new facilities were opened and an inventory was built, particularly in grocery. As we look forward past Q1 and over the next few quarters, we see progressive path to return to a gross margin in line with our long-term objective, as we expect revenue growth to return in the second quarter and cooler weather to help drive some of these costs out, while labor productivity and access to more labor will help ease the impact of inflation. Moreover, we have taken several initiatives to improve gross margins, such as simplifying our manufacturing processes, launching good courier in more markets, and reducing packaging used. As we continue transitioning to an on-demand grocery and meal solution delivered within an hour, although startup costs will continue to have an impact on gross margin as we build our network, we expect their importance to decline as more of our micro-fulfillment centers come online and our revenue base grows. <laughs>
Turning to adjust VBITDA, our investment in people and technology to build our on-demand delivery platform continue this year, increasing our general and admin expenses and leading to an adjusted EBITDA loss of 4% or $15 million for fiscal 2021. Over the course of the year, we have expanded our team and technology capabilities to build a structure to enable the orchestration of orders delivered in about 30 minutes. These investments are required to support a significantly larger revenue base that we expect to materialize as we roll out <clears throat> our one hour or less meal solutions and grocery offerings to more and more Canadians. In the fourth quarter, they translate to an adjusted EBITDA loss of $18 million or 22.4%. Of note, an accounting methodology change regarding cloud computing capitalization driven by the International Financial Reporting Interpretations Committee agenda decision in the summer of 2021 had a negative impact of $1.6 million on adjusted EBITDA for 2021. The combination of these factors led to a net loss of $32 million this year and $22 million this quarter. Overall, although we were disappointed with our fourth quarter results, we are confident that in the near term, gross margin improvement combined with reduction in SG&A as a percentage of sales in addition to growth in the revenue base, driven in part by unlocking a $25 billion plus target addressable market through our on-demand platform will improve profitability in the coming quarters and enable us to execute on our long-term strategy of bringing on-demand groceries and meal solutions to the majority of Canadians while generating industry-leading profitability at scale. Now turning to slide six for a review of cash flows and capital expenditures. Cash flows used in operating activities totaled $16 million this fiscal year, compared to a generation of cash flows from operating activities of $7 million last year. This was a result of higher net loss and offset, for the most part, by increased depreciation and amortization. We invested $19 million in capital expenditure for the year, or 5% of our net sales. The capital invested was mainly related to equipment deposits, leasehold improvements to new and existing facilities, and the build-out of parts of our technological, technology platform. These key investments have helped support the launch of sub-one-hour delivery in Toronto and soon Montreal, as well as the launch of our on-demand deliveries in Ottawa in the coming months. In the coming year, we will continue to invest capital in building the on-demand grocery network and infrastructure that will enable a superior customer experience and solidify Good Foods' position as Canada's leading vertically integrated on-demand grocery and meal solution provider. Lastly, we ended the year with cash and cash equivalents of $126 million, which continues to provide significant balance sheet flexibility to execute on our growth strategy. Finally, we would like to turn to slide seven to provide a conclusion on our financial performance. We are pleased with the record net sales and gross profit achieved this year, and doing so despite the headwinds faced in the fourth quarter. Our profitability was impacted by rapid volume deleverage and the investments made this year to support our platform for future growth. Investments we will continue to make as our cash balance provides the financial flexibility needed. Without these investments, our profitability would have been in the high single-digit percentage adjusted EBITDA this year, as our addition to technology, to management, and to all the supporting admin functions that have been made to capture the on-demand grocery meal solution market. As we see these investments generate sizable compound annual growth in net sales for years to come, we expect these costs over time to be absorbed by our new on-demand growth platform. And now on that note, I'll turn it back to John Ferrari to review our on-demand strategy. Thank you, John. We are also pleased with the key developments that highlight the progress we made in our evolution to building Canada's first integrated on-demand online grocery network. As we set our sights on fiscal 22 and beyond, the speed, footprint, selection, and technology developments achieved in this year have us well positioned to benefit from the value proposition we're building to further entice Canadians in choosing us as their online grocer. The Canadian grocery market continues to gain scale and its digitization has strong momentum, but remains in its very early stages and very little of the estimated $142 billion market has shifted online. The very large TAM is there for the taking, and we are positioning ourselves through our on-demand offering to capture a significant portion of it. E-commerce for grocery is quickly evolving everywhere around the globe. 
the advent of third wave e-commerce called quick commerce has changed how customers interact with online grocery and is the future of grocery logistics infrastructure. We believe and have observed that providing an experience to customers that rivals in speed and selection physically going to a grocery store is key in driving the next leg of adoption post-pandemic. In fact, 85% of Canadians see value and attribute importance to having online grocery delivery within two hours, while 61% of them are willing to switch to a new grocery retailer with two hours or less on-demand delivery. Brick-and-mortar grocery trips currently take over 60 minutes to complete, while online grocery options in Canada provide limited same-day options and can take multiple days to be delivered. Our on-demand delivery network aims to respond directly to the needs of Canadian households by providing the right merchandising to answer most, if not all, food grocery needs within one hour or less. Our selection has surpassed 1,000 products and will continue to grow. Our merchandising includes staples and unique grocery products combined with meal solutions that can provide a healthy, delicious option to any meal occasion at competitive prices. Overall, we are pioneering quick commerce online grocery in Canada as the first and only vertically integrated player with our own grocery products and value-added meal solutions sent to customers through our purpose-built fulfillment network and our position to be the market leader as we roll out our network from coast to coast. In its early stages, our on-demand offering in Toronto has provided very exciting and promising results without any marketing. First, the net promoter score we have achieved is best in class, standing currently at 88, demonstrating customers' appreciation for a fast delivery of a wide variety of meal kits, grocery products, and ready-to-eat items. Second, the average order values we have achieved are also at the high end of what fast grocery shop tends to be, standing between $65 and $70 so far. Third, leveraging our strong brand, superior merchandising, and existing shipping routes has allowed us to build our on-demand offering on the back of uniquely strong unit economics. Basket sizes in on-demand are significant while sourcing benefits from our existing subscription platform, Scale, to provide better procurement costs. Finally, and most importantly, leveraging the delivery routes of our subscription orders, known days in advance, our shipping costs have been ahead of our expectations, standing below $10 per order, and will continue to improve as on-demand volume scale. During our launch, over the past two weeks, our average order to delivery speed has been 35.5 minutes, providing a truly amazing experience to customers. Based on the current demand levels and before the benefits of our dedicated marketing efforts, we see a clear path for a single, highly replicable micro-fulfillment center to reach $20 million of annual revenue run rate. Our unique and superior merchandising, combined with the technology, infrastructure, brand, and order volume we have already built, help provide very attractive unit economics to go along with a truly disruptive value proposition. Furthermore, our micro-fulfillment centers, strategically located within minutes of our customers' homes, require less than $1 million of startup cost in order to be launched, and provide a payback period of less than six months, given our ability to leverage our existing brand, procurement, and shipping. We currently have a line of sight to five additional micro-fulfillment centers, while our teams have the capacity to roll out as many as 20 per year. Overall, over the past two years, we have delayed the profitability of our existing ready-to-cook subscription business, uh, which it could have provided, in order to invest in the three key pillars, speed, selection, and technology, and to build the value proposition to capture the online grocery opportunity. Starting this year, 
We are launching this value proposition to customers and are excited by their response. As we continue our evolution to an on-demand grocery and meal solutions provider, our strong execution has allowed us to make significant progress on the three key pillars required to build Canada's leading on-demand online grocery network and ultimately drive our next phase of growth. On that note, I will turn it over to the operator for the Q&A portion of this call. Thank you. At this time, I would like to remind everyone, in order to ask a question, press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. We'll pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from Martin Landry from Stiefel GMP. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Um, in your opening remarks, you mentioned that, um, you know, past Q1, you expect revenue growth to return in Q2. I'm not sure if I understood correctly, but does that mean that you expect your, your revenues to decline on a year-over-year basis in Q1? Hey, good morning, Martin. Um, I think, uh, you know, the way to look at it is that um, the next uh, big growth driver uh, of the business, which is the on-demand, uh, you know, quick e-commerce delivery of our grocery meal kits really launched late Q1. And as a result, um, when we look sequentially, while there's definitely uh, significant growth that we saw from the, the lows of July and August, uh, the seasonal lows, ultimately, uh, you know, revenue, um, the, 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 revenue, the next revenue growth driver will really be seen in, in, the, in the second quarter. Okay, so so if I hear you, uh, you know, you don't expect much revenue growth in in Q1. So, um, what's going on? Is it is it um, you know still a softness in our pool because of of uh, you know nice weather, or is it is it your subscriber counts that are are, are not moving up? Hey, Mate. Um So I would say. Uh, as we were in Q4, um, the combination of the return of the summer seasonality, uh, in addition to the you know the reopening across the country, that was really leading to volatility in, in both order rates and, and demand from new subscribers. From the uh, July and August lows, we've seen um, significant growth from there. Uh, and uh, it, you know it's hard to predict exactly what's going to happen within the future quarters. Uh, but you know, as John mentioned, we're expecting that towards the end of uh, Q1, we'll start seeing some more uh, contribution from our on-demand uh, strategy, and that includes sales of uh, meal kits, grocery products, uh, as well as our um, uh, prepared meals. As we look at uh, Q1. Uh, of this year versus Q1 of last year. It's important to remember that in Q1 of last year, we were still in um, basically a full lockdown. So the, the uh, comparable number from last year is still a, a pandemic number versus a mostly open uh, number this year. And we also experienced some uh, warmer weather in September and October uh, of this year in Q1. Um, so overall, the uh, you know w w what we're seeing is an improvement certainly in in the uh, unit economics of the meal kit subscription business. Uh, we've seen some improvements in the customer acquisition costs in Q1 as well, uh, and some improvements in the order rate as well. And uh, I think we just need to be mindful that as we work through this reopening, it'll be hard to forecast uh, exactly what uh, demand is going to look like, um, but. Uh, looking forward uh, past Q1 and into into the rest of rest of fiscal 22, um, we believe that this on-demand strategy, which is essentially opening us up to a completely uh, new TAM, right? The, really being able to access uh, the full uh, on-demand grocery uh, market across Canada. This is a, a growth vector um, that's new to us. It's a um, uh, you know, the on-demand grocery market is evolving quickly everywhere around the world. It's expected to be um, over $25 billion just in the U.S. this year. And in Canada, the, the on-demand uh, grocery portion of that market is essentially inexistent. And so looking at some of the global trends, looking at 
where growth is happening in food delivery and grocery delivery as we exit this pandemic, we think we're incredibly well positioned uh, with our on-demand offering to be able to continue growing our uh, sales of meal kits, grocery products, and uh, prepared foods. Okay. And uh, just my last question, um, you know, you're seeing a lot of inflation in in, in labor and in, in freight and food. Uh, I know you've increased prices last spring, um, but, you know, just wondering, what's what's your ability to, to increase prices given the competitive uh, dynamic that you see? And, and what's your view on, on future price increases? Yeah, hey, Mark, thanks, Neil. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, we did uh, do a small price increase and then some price adjustments actually uh, up and down in different markets across the country in uh in Q3 and Q4 as well. Um, so we're constantly adjusting pricing and playing um, with uh, with different markets to try to maximize value to customers and uh, and margins. Um, we think we're able to pass along uh, the inflation cost, uh, or at least a large part of the inflation cost to consumers in various ways. Pricing is one of the levers we have, um, and uh, we're continuing to kind of adjust menus <coughs> and designs uh, accordingly. Um, and uh, as I mean, as you're aware, we're investing heavily in technology and process to try to take out as much cost uh, as we can as well. So um, a combination of factors that we think uh, put us in uh, in good shape for the rest of fiscal 22. Okay, thank you. Your next question comes from Kram Krimler from Eight Capital. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning, and thank you for taking my questions here. Um, you, you discussed the, the customer resilience and the prepared remarks, and, and looking at the movement in active customers, which is defined as someone who's placed an order in the last three months, um, that was down 10% from the prior year. So I'm curious if you could please discuss what the path for growth in the active customer count looks like moving forward. Is it going to be new customers who have never engaged with the platform, or is there a lot of ground to gain on re-engaging customers that have been on the platform prior with the enhanced service level? How does the company look at um, that mix moving forward? Thank you. Thanks very much for the question. So in terms of the uh, the growth in our uh, active shopper base, um, looking at pre-pandemic uh, numbers, we've always seen this um, reduction in uh, order rates throughout the summer months, which translates into a reduction in uh, active shoppers during uh, Q4. Uh, going forward, the ways in which uh, we're growing the active uh, customer base, the first one is uh, certainly um, re-engaging existing customers to ensure that they're placing an order. And so we have uh, customer um, relationship management uh, tools that we're using and strategies in order to uh, re-engage customers during the fall uh, and in the winter. Uh, the second piece is certainly continuing uh, to uh, uh, grow the customer base and increase the penetration of uh, new to good food customers. And one of the uh, key levers there is uh, opening up our uh, digital store for customers who are uh, uh, looking to engage with uh, good food in a way that provides significantly more flexibility. So customers will be able to order uh, meal kits. They'll be able to order um, grocery products, ready-to-eat products, uh, with or without subscriptions, uh, and um, as we mentioned, delivered uh, quickly to their homes. What we uh, believe that will lead to is an increase in penetration and market share across all of those categories, and that's what we're really focused on uh, throughout fiscal 22. Okay, thank you. Then just as a quick follow-up to that, you mentioned that on-demand had been launched with virtually no marketing efforts. Um, was that just in the in the period that was seen in Q1, or has, has that changed, or are there plans to ramp up those efforts in the near term? At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Are you referring to the uh, marketing efforts wrapping up? 
Yes, in relation to the on-demand service. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the first few weeks of our uh, um, one hour or less on-demand launch in Toronto uh, were launched without marketing, just in order to uh, ramp up our operational capabilities uh, and, uh, and logistics um, uh, drivers and, and uh, our ability to do those deliveries quickly. Um, as we turn to uh, the coming weeks, we are launching our marketing initiatives. We're starting and focusing uh, on the uh, greater Toronto area first. That's where our first uh, on-demand micro-fulfillment center is. Uh, so we expect that that will have um, a few impacts. One is bringing on uh, new on-demand customers to our platform. Uh, and the second piece is ensuring that uh, our existing and previously canceled customers on the meal kit subscription are aware of this new offering. Uh, and really, this uh, ability to offer uh, sub one hour delivery of a wide assortment of good food products provides the flexibility that's required for uh, new types of customers to engage with good food, right? So it's, it's a much larger um, uh, breadth of customer personas that are interested in this offering. As we've seen uh, through our current uh, data and through uh, customer experiences uh, around the world, um, it's important to understand that um, on-demand uh, grocery deliveries in less than one hour is one of the fastest growing uh, e-commerce categories everywhere around the world. So we hear about um, uh, softness in um, uh, e even Amazon's e-commerce uh, numbers in Q4. Uh, th the reality is one of the, one of the only and extremely quickly growing uh, on-demand uh, or, or sorry, e-commerce offerings around the world is quick uh, commerce grocery delivery, and we're positioning ourselves to be a leader in that space. We're also uniquely positioned because uh, we have our existing merchandising. So if you look at our basket sizes uh, that we talked about, somewhere between $65 and $70 per order, um, the leaders in uh, on-demand grocery uh, delivery around the world have significantly smaller basket sizes. And so we're uniquely positioned in the sense that our existing merchandising allows us to have higher margins uh, and much larger basket sizes. We're also uniquely positioned with um, the team and the technology that we've been building for the past two years, uh, as well as um, our existing brand and the awareness that we have around it. Um, and so that, that's allowing us also to combine uh, our meal kit subscription delivery orders with our on-demand orders that are coming in. Uh, and that allows us to have significantly lower uh, delivery costs than any of the other uh, on-demand players globally. So it, it's, a, it's a very large and growing untapped uh, addressable market in Canada. We're really uniquely positioned um, uh, to be able to capture an outsized share of that market. And the economics of the business uh, are extremely attractive. So we're able to launch our micro-fulfillment centers for less than a million dollars per micro-fulfillment center strategically located close to our customers' homes, and uh, we're able to get a payback, as we mentioned, in, in less than 12 months uh, on those micro-fulfillment centers. So the economics are also excellent. So we're really excited about this new phase of growth uh, post-pandemic, and this should provide uh, years of uh, compound annual growth in active shoppers and uh, revenue for years to come. And ultimately, uh, the cost structure that we have today um, is will be amortized uh, both from a gross margin perspective and from an SGNA perspective. It'll be amortized uh, over this growing revenue base that's led by our on-demand uh, strategy. Your next question comes from Michael Gwen from Raymond James. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning. So just uh, coming back on the micro fulfillment center. So Jonathan, can you maybe speak to like how many households would one of these micro fulfillment centers be expected to serve? Uh, how does it fit exactly with the larger facilities that you already have in the markets? Is, is this like a hub and spoke type models? Um, like what, what type of radius can, can one of these facilities uh, ultimately serve? Hey, Michael, thank, for, thank you for the question. Um, the way we look at it, obviously, is in terms of uh, population. So I don't have the number of exact households, and we're, uh, we're testing the postal codes 
um, as we speak to say what uh, what can be done in a in a time effective and uh, and profitable manner. Um, but right now, uh, our uh, our GTA Micro Fulfillment Center is servicing well over a million uh, potential shoppers, and uh, and that number is going to uh, slowly increase over the next uh, three or four months as we uh, roll out a couple of these other stores that we have. Uh, in the backlog, <clears throat> so that's you know 10 to 20 times what a normal grocery store is able to service, uh, which is why John made in, in the prepared remarks uh, comments around ramping up to uh, you know 20 million of ARR um, uh, in the near future. So we're, we're pretty confident that um, the TAM of each location is uh, is large. The service that we're offering uh, is is unique, um, you know, as evidenced by our NPS score of of uh, in the mid 80s and um and ultimately we can be highly profitable in this model by launching more and more stores as we have uh, um, more and more uh, customer data um so that was the first part of your question if you can just repeat the second part uh, michael so i get that right how does this fit with the existing you have the larger fulfillment centers in as well so yeah. how does the fulfillment fit with the with the larger fulfillment yeah, exactly. So you mentioned hub and spoke. I think that's a good way to think about it. We also have two um, businesses that are uh, complementary but unique, right? Like, you know, co um, customers that are, are outside of the metropolitan areas will continue to receive uh, meal kits and add-ons in their uh, in their orders, uh, which has helped drive uh, AOV over the past couple of years and um, has been a, a, a big success. Um, and those fulfillment centers, those larger footprint fulfillment centers, which we have in D.C., Calgary, or Vancouver, Calgary, uh, Toronto, uh, and Montreal will continue to service those customers. Um, and then, uh, you know, future investments in fulfillment and technology will continue to be um, over-indexed towards the on-demand strategy. Uh, part of those will be um, replenished by some of these fulfillment centers. And we have a, a distribution center that we um, also opened uh, in, uh, in Q4 and over Q1 uh, to service those, uh, those micro-fulfillment centers as well. So um, complementary. Um, and allow us to move uh, much faster. Okay, and and then just for myself, in listening to you describe the strategy, it does feel it it feels like a strategic shift when I'm when I'm listening to it. So, how long has this been in the works, and and is, is this a, was this decision to move in this direction viewed internally as a as a significant strategic shift? Yeah, I would say um, we've been working on our micro uh, fulfillment center strategy for um, uh, 18 to 24 months now. <clears throat> um, the, the first version of that was really testing out the, the customer uh, economics and really understanding um, the operating nuts and bolts of the business through our Good Food Wow uh, same day service uh, that we launched in uh, Toronto and Montreal. Um, the intent was always to to use that as a test to understand uh, customer behavior and also uh, the capabilities that we needed to build in order to be a quick commerce leader and then bring down the delivery times uh, within the cities to, to sub one hour. Um, I think the, uh, the overall strategy from a uh, merchandising perspective that we've talked about for uh, over 12 months now in terms of the 1,000-plus uh, SKUs today growing to 4,000 SKUs um, remains the same as well. Um, we're looking at um, the same strategy around opening up our platform from a technology perspective to have our customers be able to interact uh, with good food with more flexibility uh, with and without subscriptions. So we've been talking about that uh, for a little while. Uh, and so I think the, the real exciting piece today is from those uh, 24 months of investments, we're finally at a place today where we're starting um, uh, to deliver uh, real on-demand orders, uh, and we have uh, uh, customers that are absolutely loving it. Uh, and really, uh, quick commerce is it's the direct answer to what customers everywhere around the world want. And so one of the key barriers to um, uh, online grocery adoption has been um, the, the use of delivery windows that provide for um, later today or next day delivery where the customer actually needs to do a lot of pre-planning. They need to make sure they're available uh, during the delivery window or other uh, faster delivery methods uh, which are not vertically integrated and which provide uh, a poor customer experience in terms of um, um, 
missing items, uh, uh, huge markup uh, markups on uh, the price of the products and of delivery. And so we're really in a position here where uh, we're set up for uh, our next phase of growth. There's a um, really a, a, a huge amount of um, online grocery uh, dollars that will be uh, coming from the brick and mortar space and transitioning into this uh, quick commerce uh, grocery delivery. And we're extremely well positioned uh, to capture that market. Your next question comes from Frédéric Tremblay from Desjardins. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning. Um, first question for me. Uh, I was wondering if you've noticed any major differences in the product mix between your on-demand delivery, so one hour or less, versus uh, next-day delivery. Is there, is there more impulse buying there for on-demand that, uh, that would provide higher margins? Hey, good morning. Uh, so we are seeing a um, higher proportion of uh, grocery products, in, uh, good food branded grocery products within our um, uh, on-demand less than one hour delivery. It's also um, a, an experience that has significantly uh, less friction for the customer. And so um, what we're expecting to see is uh, customers uh, that are placing more than one orders uh, per week, uh, which is something that uh, we haven't seen in any significant way in the past. And so the intent is really uh, to, to create a service offering that is uh, just addictive to our customers uh, and to have them uh, coming back time and time again, multiple times within the week to place their orders. Um, now that still means our, our basket size is in the 65 to, to or 60 to $70 range. Um, th those basket sizes are still quite large and healthy uh, and allow us to have great economics uh, on the fulfillment and delivery of those items. But we would like to, and, and we expect to see customers engaging much more frequently with us. Great. And then just uh, you know, given the, uh, the potential opening of further micro-fulfillment centers and investments in automation technology, uh, what are your expectations for CapEx in fiscal 22? Hey Fred, yeah, it's Neil here. Uh, and just to, to add on to what John was saying about the uh, the previous question, like we we um, were able to hit bay parts a lot quicker too. So you know, there's there's a spike in order at uh, 11 to to noon before the the lunch rush, and you know, on the way home from dinner, so uh, things like that. Um, in terms of capex, uh, we're uh, we're still um, working through the uh, the full fiscal 22 plan. Um, it'll be uh, you know opportunistic as uh, real estate. Um, comes available. These uh, these micro fulfillment centers, uh, in terms of locations, are extremely unique. Um, we have uh, you know uh, a team looking 24/7 around the clock, uh, literally driving up and down streets to find well-positioned locations because it can make a massive difference if you're one or two streets over. Um, and uh, depending on how uh, economics continue to come in, uh, if we see what we what we expect to see and what we're currently seeing. Uh, we'll we'll, uh, we'll probably continue to ramp up. Um, and we have some you know, carryover capex on projects that we've been uh, investing in over the last uh, uh, six to twelve months as well. So uh, our BC facility uh, is uh, is you know ninety percent complete. Um, we have the Ottawa facility, which uh, GR mentioned in the prepared remarks as well, which is uh, ninety plus percent complete. Um, and uh, and then we have five or uh, five or six other opportunities in the pipeline that we're uh, very excited about. And uh, obviously, with every incremental micro fulfillment center that we're launching, the cost is coming down quite a bit. Like we mentioned, sub one million, but we think we can cut that uh, pretty aggressively as well. Your next question comes from Ryan Lee from National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Hey, thanks for taking my call, guys. Um, yeah, the first question maybe just more along the on-demand on launch. You, you mentioned uh, five, line of sight to five more locations. Uh, are you able to share kind of where those would be? Is it uh, more in the Toronto, Montreal area, or is it beyond that? Hey, good morning, Ryan. So the, our, our intent really uh, is to uh, focus in on uh, dominating specific large urban centers, so the uh, intent is for uh, 
um, uh, the next set of micro fulfillment centers to be located uh, first within the GTA and uh, the greater Montreal area. So those are the, the uh, two main markets that we're going to be building out uh, the density of our both on-demand deliveries and our micro fulfillment centers. Uh, certainly what we see is that we're expecting that the addition of each um, um, new micro fulfillment center within the same city uh, is going to allow us to um, service customers more quickly, add capacity, we'll be able to ramp up um, uh, the utilization of each of those micro fulfillment centers much more quickly as well than if they were in a different city and ultimately uh, improve the uh, economics even further. So being um, uh, closer to customers in different parts of, uh, of the same metropolitan area allows us to reduce um, the cost of deliveries and really to be uh, extremely competitive with brick and, mar brick and mortar um, grocery shopping. Uh, so we'll be focusing into in those two uh, metropolitan areas, uh, and then we'll continue expanding across the country after that. Okay, okay, thank you. Um, and then in terms of the timing of the on-demand launch, was it more um, about reaching some sort of penetration rate within the cities uh, um, in terms of online grocery, or was it getting a large enough skew count? Can you talk a bit more about the rationale around that? Yeah, hey Ryan, thanks for the question. Um, yeah, timing is just a matter of, uh, of the pieces coming together, right? Um, we've been investing in technology, people, process, uh, and buildings over the last uh, several uh, several quarters. So, um, and selection, as you know. So, we think there's a minimum viable selection to be able to to offer the grocery strategy um, in an on-demand fashion, which we believe we've uh, we've surpassed now with over a thousand SKUs and, and growing. Uh, the technology platform being able to um, efficiently and effectively fulfill, capture, um, and offer uh, sub one hour delivery is obviously something that uh, needs tweaking from a traditional meal kit business where you have uh, visibility and demand and, and uh, highly planned uh, operations and routes. Um, and then uh, the real estate, right? Uh, like I was saying in the past, uh, past question, um, real estate uh, market across the country is uh, quite competitive. These locations are uh, are uniquely positioned. We think there's a, a certain first mover advantage in the country as well around uh, getting some of these core core locations, and um, uh, those things need to come together for the kind of the, the, the trifecta of uh, of, uh, of on-demand grocery. And, and Neil, maybe I could add as well. I mean, if you look at um, as John was saying, you know, we've been in the process of working of building this out over the last 18 to 24 months. And in our prepared, uh, you know, remarks, we talked about that ultimately the meal kit business is, uh, you know, high single-digit uh, EBITDA business when you strip out the cost related to this initiative. So there's a significant amount of cost we have in our system. I mean, the math would be around $40, $50 million ultimately uh, that we've been building over the, on an annual basis, but it's been uh, building over the last couple of years as we've been preparing for this, this launch that John laid out has been part of the overall uh, long-term strategy of the company. Your next question comes from George Dumas from Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Yeah, good morning, guys. Um, I'm just trying to understand a little bit the gross margin impact of, of ramping up the on-demand grocery. Um, I think you, you spoke to some mixed impacts that could be diluted at first, but just wondering longer term, like by when would you expect this to, I guess, be creative to gross margins from a timing standpoint? Anything you can talk about it would be appreciated. Sure. Thanks. Um, good question. So, I mean, I think it, we have to start with just, you know, where are we in Q4, right? And, and in the fourth quarter, um, when we look at the, the component parts of the, of the drop of gross margin, none of these are structural, right? Ultimately, um, the majority of these are, are items that we work through, whether it be seasonality, uh, whether it be um, the decline in volume that we saw in July and August, um, all things that we're doing, all, all, all elements that we can, can address, and we have been addressing either through, you know, growth coming out of July and August, uh, taking costs out of our system, becoming more efficient, et cetera, or uh, how Neil talked about how we're handling inflation. Um, overall, when you, when, when you look at our business, you know, we believe kind of the historical, if you will, meal kit business is in that 30 to 35% uh, gross margin range. And then the groceries, ultimately, uh, the on-demand groceries will, will be in the 25 to 30. And, and when we look at the baskets that we're seeing that they're coming in right now over you know, this, 
the soft launch, if you will, of uh, of our on-demand uh, delivery in, in Toronto, which it was delivering within 35 minutes, essentially. Um, it, the, the basket's coming in very similar to our Wow, which is really that 50-50 mix that we've been um, that we've been alluding to in, in previous calls. And so ultimately, when you put the two margins together, we still see a 30% growth margin uh, business that comes together. Okay, thanks for that. But by when do you think we can get that 25 to 30%? I guess the uh, margin for for the for the online kind of on-demand piece is that how much more scale do we need to get there? Look, I mean, I think um, each of these fulfillment centers at the beginning uh, obviously have an impact on on our margin. Um, the, the reality is the, it'll be driven by the adoption rate uh, and the, 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 the number of orders that we're seeing through each of these fulfillment centers and ultimately the AOV, which each on each one of those metrics, I, I would say they're coming in ahead of our expectations. So when we, uh, the, the ultimate time when we'll be able to uh, get the economies of scale that we're seeing will, will, will really be driven by AOV and the number of orders that, uh, that, that flow through. Your next question. And George, maybe, sorry, if I could just add to that, uh, George, maybe the other thing to, to think about is really the, the ramp. Like, the ramp can be quite uh, fast. You know, the, the uh, John Ferrari was talking about uh, quick commerce being the fastest, the only and fastest growing e-commerce sector in the world. And the reason why it is, is because of NPS scores. So with, a, with an NPS score of 85, um, that means you're going to refer people. That means that um, people are going to love it and refer people. Uh, so, you know, in terms of growth, it's the early days of the meal kit industry where everybody that tries it refers a tremendous amount of people. So the ramp of the stores is important for uh, gross margin, but we think it can be quite effective because of the focus on the customer experience. Your next question comes from Paul Treber from RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Oh, thanks very much and good morning. Just uh, w wanted to focus on capacity. Uh, so just on the existing facilities, uh, you know, what's the, the total capacity, annual capacity in terms of either, you know, revenue run rate or orders at the moment? Uh, and then when you look out to next, the end of next fiscal year, you know, with the new facilities that you're developing, you know, where do you see the annual capacity uh, getting to? Yeah, hey, Paul. Um, so I think in terms of capacity, uh, we we have uh, we're building uh, definitely enough capacity to see uh, the growth that we are expecting and uh, and that ultimately what our investors are expecting as well. Um, I would say it's easy for for one of these stores to generate uh, in the uh, in the 20 million of ARR range, and, and we can uh, we can go above that as well. Um, I think the way you'll you'll see it play out is. Um, we're not going to hit capacity before launching a store that's complementary in terms of um, in terms of cost to that store. So bringing down the cost of servicing certain postal codes will lead to the volume, but uh, we will have reached a critical mass uh, to George's question on gross margin before doing so. Um, so I think you know with with uh, let's say high level 20 million and and five stores uh, six stores in the pipeline, um, you can easily see a hundred million dollar plus of value. Uh, our um, our Ottawa building itself is a, um, a fully automated version of these uh, micro fulfillment centers, which we've been uh, talking about for several quarters now. Uh, that itself has a much higher capacity as well and will service um, a good portion of the Ottawa area. Um, so overall, I would say um, hundreds uh, of millions in the pipeline for, uh, for capacity. That's helpful, very helpful on the, to understand the, the, the smaller stores uh, or, or uh, facilities. Just um, it, the, the larger ones, um, can you just remind us again, you know, how much additional capacity to the larger ones that you're, you're uh, developing, uh, how much would that add? Yeah, like our Ottawa store is roughly um, 3x to 4x, uh, the, uh, the capacity of the smaller ones. Okay, thank you. I'll pass on. Again, if you'd like to ask a question, press star, then a number one on your telephone keypad. Your next question comes from Luke Annan from Canacar Genuity. Please go ahead. Yeah, thanks. Uh, good morning, guys. Um, 
I wanted to dig in a little bit on the competitive environment specifically for on-demand grocery, just, I guess, trying to shape that up. Clearly, it's an area that's that's relatively new for you, but I'm curious to know, I guess, what the, the size of the incumbents in the space, maybe you can share that just in terms of order sizes or a percentage of the market that they have currently, and I guess where you see yourself being in that market longer term. And I guess sort of as a follow-up to that as well, is the assumption that the, the total 4,000 SKUs that you plan to get long-term, uh, that you'll be able to carry those in these smaller MFCs and as a result, the national brands as well? Hey, good morning, Luke. So in terms of um, vertically integrated on-demand players, uh, we're the only one uh, that's operating uh, in Canada today. So it's really, uh, we have a, a pretty amazing head start through our current, you know, our existing brand technology, the infrastructure that we've built, um, as well as um, the line of sight that we have on our uh, upcoming uh, micro fulfillment center launches. If you look globally, um, there's about four, uh, four or five players that have uh, significant uh, scale, uh, either in the US uh, or in Europe. Um, and and um, as we talked about in in uh, the U.S., it's already expected to be about a $20 billion uh, uh, market there. And so um, as we think about uh, the addressable market for our um, uh, quick commerce deliveries in Canada, from the $140 billion of uh, total grocery space, uh, we're, we're planning for a shift of 20% uh, of that um, total addressable market to go into the quick commerce space, and, and uh, we're working towards having an outsized uh, share of that market. Uh, and, and again, the, the reason why uh, customers are shifting towards uh, quick commerce deliveries uh, in the grocery space is because, and, and the reason why the NPS is so high, is because it's actually faster to place an order with good food and have it delivered in less than an hour. It's faster to do that than to get in your car, drive to the store, uh, pick up what you need, come back home. There's no pre-planning. It's a completely flexible uh, model. And um, we're selling our uh, products at grocery store prices. And so that's the other um, key item that gets unlocked from being a vertically integrated player. Um, so, so we're really excited about that. Uh, can you remind me of, of your second question, uh, Luke? Well, actually, uh, I, I can uh, pivot to another question uh, that I'm thinking of right now. The, the low capex that you have um, for these facilities, does that include any investment uh, as it relates to automation? Or like, how, how should we be thinking about that from uh, just the, the production margins or the production costs that would be involved with this particular um, on-demand on grocery line? Like, is, <clears throat> is the view long-term that you'll invest in automation in these uh, longer term to get better margins, or like, how should we be thinking about that? Yeah, the answer definitely is is yes. Uh, longer term, uh, we think automation is a key component of uh, of any e-commerce player. Um, right now, the focus of the automation in these uh, micro fulfillment centers uh, in the GTA and the, the GMA are on the technology side. So, where can we use tech to make our um, uh, our, our employees more effective and efficient, um, and uh, our logistics more uh, densely routed. So those are the two advantages we have. In terms of structural advantages, uh, as we said, our merchandising strategy is uh, is a big differentiator that allows us to uh, have higher average order values and also higher margin. Uh, if you look at the the HelloFresh financials, uh, you know 30 to 35 percent of of what they're selling is uh, is food costs. And at a grocery store, um, the average product is closer to uh, 60 to 70 percent. So it's a big delta there in terms of margin that we can generate um, by including meal kits and prepared meals in our basket. Um, and uh, and then the structural advantage of of our uh, weekly subscription deliveries. Um, you know, tens of thousands of deliveries a week uh, in Montreal and, and Toronto allow us to piggyback uh, and launch routes um, even in an on-demand fashion um, with uh, with those orders. Um, the facility in Ottawa, as we mentioned and we talked about in the past, is going to be fully automated off the bat um, and will be a, a good comparison versus um, the, uh, the, the more manual operations that we have today. But we have a clear path to um, taking pieces of the operation 
and, uh, and streamlining or automating those. So it'll be a little bit uh, less of a holistic approach and more uh, kind of operation by operation approach, but we're excited to kind of block and tackle over the, the coming years. Um, this will be a, a longer journey for sure, because this piece of technology or technology for these, these sides of store and this speed is, uh, is very new. So. And there are no further questions at this time. I will turn the call back over to the presenters for closing remarks. Thanks very much. So for any of you that are living uh, in Toronto, we're currently servicing uh, 18 uh, neighborhoods in Toronto uh, with our less than one hour on-demand delivery. So we encourage you guys to uh, give it a try, see if you're within those uh, on-demand zones uh, and try out the uh, customer experience. Let us know what you think. Um, and for those of you who are outside of those zones, we're expanding shortly uh, within Toronto. Uh, and as we mentioned, in a few weeks, uh, Montreal and then Ottawa thereafter. So whichever markets you're located in, please give the customer experience a try. It's, uh, it's an absolutely um, uh, magical experience um, that our customers are raving about. Uh, and as we talked about, we uh, are uniquely positioned in the market to capture an outsized share uh, of this uh, fast-growing industry uh, and ultimately uh, the economics and the payback periods that we're seeing uh, are really exceptional. So on that note, thanks very much for joining us on this call. We look forward to speaking with you again at our next uh, quarterly call. This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.